Well, we are exploring the seven I am statements in John's gospel over the summer, and we come to a really big one today. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and it's huge. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but I, I want to draw us back again to John's purpose for writing this gospel, because if we hold on to that purpose, it'll help us understand all that Jesus is doing in this passage. The purpose for John writing the gospel is really, really clear, and he lays it out for us right at the last verse of the whole book. John chapter 20 and verse 30, uh, Jesus says this, or John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's why we're also sharing these I am statements uh, through preaching and through worship over the summer months, that we together might believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God, and that by believing, we together might have life in his name. That's the purpose. And that purpose becomes very, very clear in the passage that was read for us today. Well, there's lots of things going on in the passage. There's a lot of emotion in this passage. There's a lot of twists and turns. And if you read the passage from start to finish, you'll find that. And I encourage you to do that. Read it together. Read it with a buddy, a friend, your spouse, whoever. And explore this passage together because it is really, really central to John's gospel and the whole gospel, in fact. But there's just a few things I would like to draw your attention to as we explore the passage this morning. First of all, I want to draw your attention to compassion. Because this passage is full of compassion. And that's going to be really important for us to hold on to as we get to the final point. Uh, John, the Apostle John, was known as the Apostle of Love, which is really interesting because that's not the name, the nickname that Jesus gave to him. In fact, if you go back to Mark chapter 3, uh, John and his brother James, uh, they were given nick a nickname by Jesus. Jesus called them the sons of thunder, which is pretty far removed from apostle of love. And we, we find John throughout the gospel stories very much living up to that name of being a son of thunder. On one occasion in Luke chapter 9, uh, John and James and the others are sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way in a Samaritan village. And the village totally rejects the disciples and basically says, no entry for Jesus and his followers. And so James and John come back and they're furious with the people in that village. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? Because they're sons of thunder. And Jesus must have just shook his head and, and looked at them uh, because they weren't getting it at that point. But something happened to John. Something transformed deep inside him that he moved from being this son of thunder to becoming an apostle of love. And that sense of love and compassion really, really comes out in this passage. If you go back in John chapter 11 to verse 3, you read, the one you love is sick, speaking of Lazarus. Or in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Or in verse 36, when the crowd looks at Jesus, uh, they say, see how he loved him. 
But really, the verse that sums up this sense of compassion for me is found in John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. One of the most uh, famous verses in the Bible, and if you've never memorized a Bible verse before, now's your chance to start. John chapter 11, verse 35, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's so profound and so important. It shows this deep sense of compassion. Hebrews reminds us that we do have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. God is not some unmoved mover that is removed from our suffering. In fact, in Jesus, we find that God is in the midst of our suffering. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. And that's very, very clear in the passage that we read in John chapter 11. So where is God in the midst of suffering? I think we're often tempted to ask that when we see the events of the world. Uh, we think of the events in, in Beirut and Lebanon, and we think of the events in some of our care homes across the country during COVID-19, and we, we think of the suffering that we've been exposed to in the world through our news media, and sometimes we're tempted to say, where is God in all of this? And the answer is, he's in the middle of it. He's in the midst of our suffering. He is compassionate. He suffered with us. Jesus wept. And where should we be in the midst of the suffering in the world? Well, Jesus sets the example for us. Just as he wept, the Bible instructs us that we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And so that's, that's one thing I want us to get from this passage today, that, that sense of compassion is so relevant and so part of the story that we read. Well, here's another thing that I want to draw our attention to, and that is confidence. There's a lot of confidence in this passage, especially confidence coming from Martha. I love Martha. I know Martha gets kind of a bad rap because her sister Mary, she chose the better part. There's another story about that, how she sat at Jesus' feet while Martha got busy making the, the supper and doing all the, the meal prep. But I love Martha. She is a woman of action. She speaks her mind, and she does this a lot in the story that we read in John chapter 11. But one of the things I love about her is the confidence that she has in Jesus. Look at verse 21. Uh, she says to Jesus, right out, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She has that level of confidence in Jesus, his ability and his presence, even looking into the past, saying, If you had been here, you could have saved him. In verse 22, she goes on to explore this confidence when she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So not only confidence in the past, but confidence right in the present, present time. Jesus, whatever you say, God will grant you. I have that much confidence in you. And then it goes on into uh, verse 24 when, when Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha comes back by saying, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She has confidence in the future. She's so confident in who Jesus is and what he is able to do. But here's the, the, the uh, ultimate confidence that Martha has in Jesus. It's found in verse 27. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, 
who is to come into the world. Remember, John's great goal is that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God. Martha captures that goal because she has the confidence, even in her pain, even in her confusion, Martha had complete confidence in Jesus. She believed that he was the Messiah. Not just confidence in what he can do for them, but confidence that he holds the future in, in his hands and confidence that he is who he said he is. That's faith. Faith isn't simply glossing over trouble or putting on a happy face. Uh, faith is having this confidence, the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot even see or imagine. That's what we find in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Martha has that kind of confidence. She has that kind of faith. Even in the midst of her sorrow, even in the midst of her grief and her confusion, she is still confident in Jesus. That's faith. That's the kind of faith that we are called to. So this is what I love about the passage. It doesn't gloss over grief. It doesn't say that as Christians or as followers of Jesus that when someone dies, we should just put on a happy face and have a great celebration because they're in a better place. It acknowledges the sorrow and the hurt that, uh, that grief brings to us. That's a reality that we face. But it has this strong confidence in who Jesus is and the ultimate future that he is going to deliver. And so that's what we find here too. Not only compassion, but a great deal of confidence. But here's what I ultimately want to draw your attention to today in the passage. And that is confusion. There's a fair bit of internal turmoil in the passage. A kind of confusion. And it goes right back to John chapter 11 and verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold the phone. What did Jesus do? Here's how that verse should read, at least in my mind. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he rushed to his side. Because if, if you love someone and you hear that, that they're in trouble... Wouldn't you just rush to intervene, rush to help? Or, or maybe that, that verse could end, so he sent an angel to comfort Lazarus or something. But it doesn't say that. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And the pain of that delay really comes through in the way that Martha interacts with Jesus. In the past, when Jesus came for a visit, he was welcomed right into the house. Martha and Lazarus and Mary and others would gather around and they'd have a great time. He, he was part of the family. He was, he was a, a loved friend and he was welcomed into the house. But if you notice in this passage, Martha doesn't even let him get that far. Martha meets Jesus at the gate of the city and he kind, she kind of holds him there. It's like, not today, Jesus. There's, there's no warm bread and figs for you today. You've got some explaining to do. And Martha kind of holds Jesus at the gate. Why didn't you come? She says. 
We sent for you. Didn't you get the message? Are you, are you blocking our texts? Are you ignoring our phone calls? Why didn't you come when we called? I thought you loved us, but you didn't show up. Can you hear the pain in that? I've seen you do this for others. I've seen you heal the blind. I've seen you, you make the lame walk again. Surely you could have intervened in Lazarus. I thought you loved us. Why do you do that for others and you don't even know them? But you didn't do it for us. You ever feel like Martha? Do you ever feel like your, your prayers are just hitting the ceiling? That God just doesn't seem to be responding? You're calling out to God and you're saying, God, all I'm asking is for, for a job so I can provide for my family. And God, I've seen you do this for other people. Do you not love me? God, are you not listening? God, where are you in all this? Or, or some, some of us have, have wrestled with pain or some are wrestling with a sickness that just seems to go on for far too long and you've been praying to God, God, heal me, please. I've seen you do it for others. Don't you love me? Have I offended you? Where are you in all of this? So I think we can identify with Martha. Martha has this, this strong reality of facing this disappointment with Jesus, a kind of hurt that she's carrying as she meets Jesus at the gate. Well, why did Jesus delay? Why did he wait those two days? Why didn't he rush to his side? I think he had some legitimate reasons. He was a busy man, after all. Even beyond that, uh, it was dangerous. Uh, we read that early on in the passage, that the last time Jesus got close to Jerusalem, some of the Jewish leaders came out and they wanted to stone him to death. And so Bethany was pretty close to Jerusalem and some of the Jewish people had come out to help uh, Martha and Mary kind of grieve and, and prepare for the funeral. And so there was a, a level of danger. And we find that out in, in the reaction of Thomas, the disciple, uh, because when Jesus finally says, look, let's go, Thomas says, okay, we're all going to die. Or something like that. Thomas, uh, the Eeyore of the, uh, the whole group of disciples, he, he just figures, let's go and die with him as well. Might as well. There's a danger there. And so that could have been part of the delay, but that wasn't the reason that Jesus gave. And this is the point of the passage and the point of the message today. Listen to the reason that Jesus gave. He said to his disciples, For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Believe what? Believe that he is Jesus, the Messiah of God, the one sent from God. Uh, Jesus says to the, to the crowd and to Martha and to Mary, as he stands before the tomb of Lazarus, he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The delay of Jesus and the delay of God is intentional so that we might learn to trust him, so that we might believe in his name. That's part of what's happening here. You see, there's Seven sign miracles that occur in John's gospel, and this is the seventh. This is the kind of ultimate sign miracle. 
Uh, Jesus did these things, not simply to alleviate the suffering of the individual or the victim, but he did it to reveal himself in such a way that people might believe. That's the ultimate goal of Jesus. That's the ultimate goal we find in John's gospel, that people might believe and in believing have life in his name. And so his apparent lack of intervention was not neglect. He actually intentionally stayed away because he loved them. I think we struggle with this a lot with God. God, why do you seem absent? It feels like a, um, a lack of love when God doesn't intervene to preserve us from harm or from injury or from pain. And yet, as parents, we know that that's the way things need to be. As Samuel and I were talking even before the service today about our kids growing up, and sometimes it's hard to watch them go out into the world and have to make decisions, knowing that as a father, as a parent, that we can't protect them from everything out there in the world, nor should we. That's not our role. That's not our goal. Sometimes we have to let them make their decisions, even if that means that they are hurt. And we understand that, I think, as human beings. And so we must understand that of the Father in heaven as well. This sense of his lack, apparent lack of presence or lack of intervention is also important for us in strengthening our faith. And that's what we find here in the passage. You see, the thing is, God doesn't conform to our expectations. Uh, God doesn't come running simply because we ring a bell or say a prayer. He's not some genie in a bottle that you can rub and have three wishes that he must grant to you. That's not the way that God operates. But he is very present in our troubles, in our pain, in our grief, and he will reveal himself so that we can have confidence in him and we can have hope for the future. There's a, a famous preacher, Dwight L. Moody, uh, back in the Victorian era, and uh, he said this in his uh, autobiography. He said, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I think Billy Graham even quoted that uh, in his journal. That idea of this confidence that though we die, even though we die, yet shall we live because we have confidence in Jesus. So here's the bottom line. It's in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, of grief, of confusion and suffering, Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And the question to you and to me today is this. Do you believe this? Amen.